there's a lot of times that you can you can rely on just just being very upfront and, and open about what you're doing even even if it's an answer that the person sitting opposite doesn't want to hear or isn't isn't going to be well received again work, working in not-for-profit honesty is honesty is key welcome sean to the uk flooring podcast putting flooring training anything like that to one side sean what's your backstory by trade, I'm originally an upholsterer, so I used to make furniture. Okay. Um, so left school, um, failed my A-levels, um, and it was either reset or or go into a trade. That And I think that's probably uh, um, more common in kids that left school around the noughties than, than, than now in that sense. I think there's a lot more of push to um, it's looking at what their options are across the board a lot earlier. But yeah, I uh, managed to get to A-level um, failed the first year and decided to, to look for a trade and, fe- and fell into furniture. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm from Derby, so East Midlands is quite a big um, space for furniture production, in, in particular around Nottingham. Yeah. Um, so uh, did an apprenticeship, did an advanced apprenticeship straight after that, uh, and then ended up working for a provider um, in Nottingham that delivered the apprenticeship in, in furniture. So started as a teaching assistant, then moved on to a um, to a to a more senior role, and then eventually ended up managing training across the board for that for that um, for that sector within that within that company. Okay. And um, yeah, I, I did that for an awful long time. I really enjoyed it, and then uh, I realised that I probably wanted something something else, not necessarily um, um, a sidestep, but more of a more of a more of a, a step in a, a new direction. So. Um, flooring came up. So t- 2018, I started working for the Contract Flooring Association and part of that role or a large part of that role is looking after the the training arm, um, FITA, which is the Flooring Industry Training Association. Yeah. So I'm, 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 the, I'm the manager for for all training activity um, through um, Loughborough and Kakadi, where we've got two sites. But then also it's, it's a more um, personal approach to members of the CFA that have training needs and, and, and training requirements. Uh, that's pretty much what I do day to day. Is on call to help them and advise them as and when they need it. Fantastic. So for the for the uninitiated, who who's the CFA? If someone's not heard about it or maybe heard about it but doesn't quite understand what it is, what is it? Uh, so it's it's a trade organisation or a trade association um, which supports the the commercial floor laying sector. So contract flooring association. Um, it was founded in 1974 uh, and it's and it's um, a, a not for profit. Um, organization that relies on members to pay a membership fee and in return for that what they will get is a list of benefits and support from the association um, uh, which vary from help with insurances, help with health and safety, training obviously is a big part of what I do so that a lot of the benefits that I deal with are based around help and support and training. We will we will promote members to the wider industry, the wider construction industry and to clients and end, uh, end users. Um, and we will also facilitate change within industry. So we have committees based around technical and manufacturing, around marketing, but predominantly the, the core of our members are contract flooring um, companies, employers, and that can be large or small. It, you know, it's not, as long as you meet the criteria of what, what um, uh, membership um, asks for in terms of having a stable office space, you know, being able to show uh, year-end accounts and show that, you know, that the company is viable, relevant references from industry to say that it is a it is a a company that is reputable if you meet all that criteria um you are a member 
And then in return, you can use those benefits throughout the year to try and help your business. Okay. And how much is it to join? Is it like stage um, turnover or is it uh, yeah, one so, uh, uh, so uh, no, it, it's, it's individual rates. So, so uh, uh, there'll be a set contractor fee. There'll be a set manufacturer fee um, because we have different membership categories. So contractor is the main, um, although we do have a, a, an area or a membership that's based around what we class as an associate contractor. So that might be... Um, that might be businesses that are that have flooring divisions, but not necessarily wholly or mainly engaged in flooring activity. So they might have a shop fitting business that has a, a you know a relatively sized flooring element to it. Again, they can be an associate contractor. Um, we have manufacturer members, um, and then we have membership based around some of the um, distribution element of the business, and then the consultancy side of the business, in particular, consultancy on flooring. Um, failures. So looking at why, why floors go wrong. And, and membership ranges from from um, the, the low 700s through to um, just over a £1,000 for, for, the, for the manufacturer members. So it's it's one fee, um, one business. Um, so obviously we have manufacturers sometimes that have multiple brands um, or, or multiple, multiple um, companies that exist under one brand. Um, and the same for distribution. You have distributors that have different models and how they work. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, and it's mainly based around a certain type of of, of flooring. So, uh, you know, our market in which we in which we operate and our members are mainly based around um, uh, textile and resilient floor coverings, um, timber floor coverings, and then everything underneath it. So, adhesives, um, uh, uh, subfloor preparation, and then ancillaries, fixings, PPE, uh, insurances, anything based around flooring in that sector. So, we don't cover or we don't we don't work within the, uh, the, the tiling sector and we don't work within the, like the resin floor sector, they have their own trade associations that we work with. Um, and you'll find a lot of our members are multiple, multiple trade association members because they, they, they will deal with a wide range of flooring. Okay. Um, the strange question, but more of a selfish question for me, is there either a, um, association or is it something that's going to be brought in? What support is there for flooring retailers and or smaller contractors that maybe, let's say, do some commercial work, but maybe 80% is domestic? Um, because it's coming from a retail background myself, obviously I knew you guys existed, etc. but it was like kind of went under our radar, if I'm honest, because we're dealing with, you know, we're, B, we're B2C. Yep. So what, what's, what's your take on that? Um, so there is. Uh, it's called the National Institute of Carpet and Floor Layers, and again, it's it's a it's a separate organisation, separate trade association. But there is an awful lot of crossover with with the CFA and Fitter in particular. And again, sometimes straight off the bat, it can be quite confusing because in essence, we're talking about three different companies, but three different companies realistically that are that are managed and overseen by um, six members of staff. So uh, you know, the, the head offices are the same. Fitter as a training organization is co-founded by the CFA and the NICF, the National Institute of Carpet and Floor Layers. Um, and that is the that is the domestic equivalent of, of the CFA. So um the NICF mainly represents the individual fitter. Um, that's mm-hmm. their core clientele. So again, people that you've spoken to on your podcast, like Dan Evans and Dean Dickinson and others, will be NICF members. Yeah. Um and then they have retailer membership categories and they have um, manufacturer categories, which is known as a patron. So you can have 
Um, again, different categories, but the majority of them are individual fitters. And you might have fitters that also own their own shops or retail premises that have fitters that work for them that, that have kind of multiple memberships. So the retailer will have their membership, but then they'll also promote the fact that the individual fitter has his own membership. And it works, it works in the same way. The idea is that there's benefits for the for the, the domestic sector, for the fitter. So again, insurances, technical support, they'll get support from the NICF within a local a local area. So they'll have local, you know, local representatives that if they get stuck on a job or they need advice on something, you know, they're just a phone call away. Both trade associations put out um really, really good technical advice in direct in in um in technical guides. For, you know, specifically for the domestic or the commercial sector that are reviewed and updated every five years. Um, and then the NRCF fitters then will have um, different accreditations within their sector. So, for example, if they are predominantly a, a carpet installer and they want to set themselves above the competition or if they want to really kind of highlight their quality, um, they can join the NRCF as a, as just as a fitter member. Or if they've got a relevant qualification like a, an MVQ, they can attach that to their membership and become an accredited fitter. So they're not it's not just them saying they can do a good job. They're backed by a trade association. Um, they have backed by a national qualification. But then the RCF also have something called a a, a master fitter, <laughs> which is a which is a separate assessment. Uh, predominantly run at fitter actually at our training centre in Loughborough. But they'll be invited in and they'll be given a task within a, a flooring type. So carpet as an example. And they'll have a set amount of time to fit that flooring to to a, an agreeable standard, and they'll be marked uh, and judged on it. And if they meet the criteria, they can then advertise themselves as a master fitter. And that, in essence, is another you know another route to setting yourselves apart from you know your local competition or to to raise your brand. Um, uh, you know, as it as an individual um, within within the sector. And it's based on an industry that is, that is, you know, largely unregulated. You know, trade association is soft regulation for an industry that has has no formal regulation. If you compare it to the likes of you know, gas engineers, electricians, other areas where you you know you can't do your job unless you've got that bit of paper or you've got that skill um, um, assessed, yeah, pretty competency. Um, so yeah, the NRC, the NRC are fantastic. Again, if you if you're looking for people to speak to, people like Brian King and and others within the NRCF are fantastic advocates of the domestic sector. Um, I'm, I'm, through Fitter, we work really closely with them on a on a on a weekly basis. Really, is there um, accreditations for the for the wood side or floor sanding? I know there's carpet and things like that, but um, sanding there isn't. Um, they do they so they have carpet. They have um, um, and then all the resilience. So LVT um, uh, residential. Um, uh, sorry, residential vinyl, um, so domestic cushion back vinyl. Um, they have, they do have a commercial vinyl category, um, but it's more based around the idea that a lot of residential fitters are doing more kind of um, safety floor aspects in homes. And again, you mentioned soft contract before. You know, these guys will pick up soft contract work. They'll pick up their local, their local vets or their local dentist, or they'll pick something up that requires a commercial product. Um, they have laminate. They have wood. And then they introduced um, naturals like sisal, seagrass, core, um, because it was quite popular. Um, and and it just through fitter, we're doing an awful lot of training in that category. Um, so they introduced that um, the end of last year as well. Not, I, I don't think they have anything specifically for wood sanding. Um, uh, but again, you you see a lot of these NRCF guys that do an awful lot of training. So again, not to keep 
dropping names, but you know, listening you know, listen to your podcast with with Dan Evans, you know, the amount of training that he's invested in, unbelievable. You know, sets, you know, sets him apart from 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 his competition and provides him with a a direct route to lots of different aspects of flooring. And in each category, I you know because I know what he's like. He'll want to make sure he's a he's a master fitter and all of that. And then you have the absolute comparisons, which is people like like Dean. I listen to you talk to Dean, and he's very specific on what he wants to do. He knows he knows LBT like back of his hand. That's what all he wants to do, um, and he and he wants to do it fantastically, and he and he does. So yeah, there's 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 lots of scope within the NRCF for different different types of fitter um, to join and and hopefully get um, support from because again they run a directory just like the CFA. So actively promoting them to the wider industry. You go on the NRCF website, you're looking for someone within a county. If they're a member, they will pop up um, and it, it's direct access. You, know, you pick one job off off that directory and you, you, know, you, should, you should more than cover your your membership for the year. Brilliant. So you're the trainer manager at Fitted. Talk, mm-hmm. Let's have a chat about that. Let's, so um, what courses, what, again, for the uninitiated, no one knows who you are. How would you describe Fitter and what what do you do best? Okay, so uh, Fitter is um, the um, is a not for profit training organisation. It's the Flooring Industry Training Association, and it's backed, as I said before, co founded by the CFA and the NICF. So it was originally established in the nineties um, uh, before moving to Loughborough in the early in the early two thousands, um, and, it, and it was kind of a um, a progression from the NICF wanting to engage in more training and offer more training to industry. Again, going back to that 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 regulation and, and making sure that people are doing the best job that they can do. The NICF are really the instigators in that. And uh, uh, yeah, and then in the in the in the early noughties, they decided that it needed to be something that was more um, more established and fitter and, and fitter was that that vehicle. So we you know we we've been we've been delivering training now for for twenty plus years. And I think um, training as a whole, if you look at any of the any of the providers of training or anyone that offers training within their either within their manufacturers um, courses or a provider, Fitter really was the the blueprint for that. Um, you know, it, it it was the first of its kind, and uh, it, it it's been it's been going great guns ever since. We 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 have a training centre in Loughborough, um, uh, which which is. Uh, the, the main training centre that's 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 all that's been there for twenty plus years. But we we also have a a second site in Kirkcaldy in Scotland, okay. and it's run out of um, Fallbo Flooring's manufacturing plant. So they are they are one of our sponsors and a great supporter of training. And um, just before the pandemic, so probably two years before the the, the pandemic, they offered the space, um, which we which we converted. They had an old lane school that they they had mothballed. From the from the you know from the nineties that they weren't using, and we we turned that into a space that we could use. Um, and then we got stuck through the you know, through the pandemic. Obviously, as a manufacturer, they need to put priorities on production first. So there was probably eighteen months where we didn't get to use it, and we spent a lot of time um, since the start of um, this year to get things back up and running. Um, and you know, we we are now able to offer all of our course content across two sites. Um, so we've got twenty plus training courses again mirroring what i said before about the contract flooring association that you know we predominantly focus on what we would class as soft floor cover inside so timber textile and, and resilient and yeah. we don't tile or resin um because you know, we want to be masters in what you know, everything that fitted us has to feed back up to the trade associations um so any any courses we run any information we give out has to stand by the fact that an association 
um, pin, you know, pins its um, its authentication on it as well as as being something that that they can recommend. Um, so yeah, it can be it can be from basic, so it can be brand new installers, um, improvers, fitters, mates, through to the um, the highest skill levels of people that want to that want to come and learn, um, you know, small elements of stuff that will, that will raise their game as well. Um, some of the fitter training courses lead directly into those NRCF master fitter assessments. So if people are thinking of doing the assessment and want to know what the assessment entails in terms of what is expected, then some of the fitter courses are a perfect example of learning those skills in preparation for, for future assessments or passing qualifications or whatever it may be. Um, both training centers are fully equipped for everything. You know, we've got fantastic manufacturer and distributor support. Um, we have a, a you know over twenty different sponsors that not only support with um, uh, with product, tools, materials, resources, but they support financially. Yeah. As a profit, our main our main goal is to is to be able to put back into the business and support industry. So um, a lot of that is subsidised by industry playing its part and putting its hand in its pocket, which we're, we're always grateful for. And one of the big things we did is in 2021, we decided that we, we needed to run apprenticeship delivery as well, which we weren't doing at the time. There wasn't anything in East Midlands for apprenticeship delivery. So one of the reasons, one, you know, one of the first things that I was tasked with doing when I started in 2018 was to be able to get apprenticeship delivery in the East Midlands, which we were, which we were able to do in 2021. We work in conjunction with another provider called Webs Training. Again, they are based within furniture, and if you put two and two together, can realise they were my old employer. So, when we needed uh, access to apprenticeship funding, it seemed a no-brainer to work with a, an established provider with over fifty years of experience to create a, a turnkey solution for the East Midlands. So now we have a rolling cohort of thirty apprentices at any given time. So we're not we're not we're not breaking down the barriers in terms of numbers, but what we are delivering is, is, is providing a service for our members first and foremost, but the wider industry as well. And a, a real gold standard of apprenticeship delivery is what we like to pride ourselves on. Um, yeah, and the range of courses allows anyone to, you know, to to play a part. It doesn't have to be someone that's just starting out. It can be someone that, that you know, is a seasoned floor layer, but wants to attack a different side of the trade. You know, they, a lot of the time we get people that go, right, well, actually I'm going in and installing the carpets, but I'm not, I'm not being able to do the resilient. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm missing out on, on work. I need to, I need to uh, um, address that. And that a lot of the time leads people through to training. I love that. The um, biggest, one of the questions asked is, um, what's the biggest challenge in the flooring industry, which I will ask you in a second, but the normal answer that people um, give is finding the right people and the right staff. <clears throat> yeah. Can you see anything in the future? I mean, you're, you're not Mystic Meg with your ball, but nationally, is there going to be any support for, let's say, localized apprenticeship? Because if you want it to be an electrician or you want to be a plumber, you can get a, you know you can get an apprenticeship relatively locally, as far yeah. as I'm aware. But yeah. if you want to become a floor layer. Uh, Unless you're right next to one of the training centres, you've got to travel a long way, and it's quite—I don't say it's a faff, but there's only certain people that do it. So, yeah. what, what's your take? Are they doing anything we don't? That's you know, that's going to spot the industry. Um, uh, well, kind of, yeah. So, so um, again, switching between hats. You know, spe speaking of the CFA and what it's doing, what it's doing to support industry. One of the one of the initiatives that CFA started last year was something that industry facing we call future fitter. And it's about it's about identifying increasing the number of floor layers uh, within the industry of all ages, not just at apprenticeship level, 
at any at any age at any entry point entering the uk commercial and domestic floor laying sector and adding value and adding adding skills so um the way we established we were going to look at that was with the the support of industry and 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 of the different pathways that are already available but also trying to identify new areas to expand on that hopefully help create more skilled and competent and qualified installers so future future fitter was was something we launched last year to industry not to say here's what we're going to do um, and we're going to run it again I, I mentioned before you know we were an office of six staff you know three management staff and three admin staff so it's not something we can go okay well we take responsibility of that and we don't feel it is our direct responsibility the association's responsibility is to to push things forward and to highlight where those opportunities are and to get industry to engage. So with with that, we came up with essentially kind of four key targets. One was to improve the pipeline of new workers, because again, you mentioned about, about quality um, skills entering. A lot of the people don't know what floor laying is, or they have perceptions of what floor laying is versus what it actually is. You know, you meet one person, they say, oh, that means they're fitting carpet, don't they? Well, no, it, you know, it might do, but there's a, you know, there's lots more to the industry than just than just you know fit the fluffy stuff. Okay. Um, so yeah, actually highlighting what floor laying is stops or, or in- increases the opportunity for people to enter because the amount of times I hear, uh, how did you get into the trade? Oh, right, my dad was a floor layer, my uncle was a floor layer, or my brother was, or um, I my next door neighbor's dad was. You know, there's there's all these entry points that go look. They, you know, they they don't they just fell into flooring. They didn't go actively. I'm going to do it. It's and that, and that ultimately speaks for a lot a lot of industry i think yeah um the, the one of the other points was to to expand localized provision so that was a key, you know when we looked at what objectives we want to try and achieve expanding local provision was was one um and i suppose what we did at Loughborough with fitter in these midlands was the pilot for that it was establishing can you set up new provision in any capacity um so since since Loughborough, we you know we're working really hard to put something together in the Bedford area around the around the same kind of model, identifying a college or a, a provider or an area that can be that can be used for delivery. Yeah. Then creates that localized provision that allows employers to have more confidence that they're not having to send an apprentice um overnight for four nights um to get the training they need and then Repeating that nine to ten times over a two-year period, they can send them for a week, and it's a, a short train journey, or it's a bus, or they can get there by car. It's not traveling from from you know, one side of the country to the other to get training. Um, we, we're hoping to do something similar in Leeds, so CFA initiated something in Leeds as well that that, that is that is gaining traction, um, and we're always on the lookout for other areas. Um, and we've got anyone from manufacturers and distributors and other providers helping with that. So a lot of it is individual conversation. So again, anyone listening, if they do think, well, actually my area needs, my area needs support. Um, in particularly the South, I think, I think there was good coverage in the North, you know, from, from Newcastle down, you've got probably the majority of the, the training providers are based in that area. You've then got the West Midlands sorted, East Midlands sorted. I think the South is probably one of our e-drivers, um, just, just based on demand. Um, and then the last, the last two points was to identify any additional funding, which is you know, which is what we do anyway, uh, identifying where you know who can support, um, and then increasing increasing the amount of employees that want to recruit. Again, you, you, if you have typical conversations with employers, they are all for 
training and employing for training, but they are scared of losing that talent once once that talent you know, starts starts to add value back to the business. It's a mass it's a massive put off for employers to go. I'm going to train someone and then they're going to disappear. Um, and we and we touch on it within Future Fitter about how you can how you can build you know, the, the apprentice from the ground up. You know, start by just not, you know by 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 investing in them properly, giving them a clear structure on how they're going to get from apprentice to to um, qualified uh, 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 installer and, and putting confidence in them that the employer is looking after them and it isn't the case of, oh, as soon as I've done this, I'm going to go on my own because we have this massive subcontracted um, pool of labour. Yeah. It is such an easy option just to drop in and go, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just go self-employed. And, you know, different models work for different people, but employers want to retain staff, but they're not always sometimes sure about how to do it have to do the training in the right way that that creates that that you know that that um that loyalty between the two parties so yeah we talk about that a lot as well no on one of our training courses we've got a segment on on um staff retention and and I hear all the time about um oh they'll just leave they'll just do that and yes some of them will and accepting that's okay but again, it's also asking the employer, you know, what are the five things you've done to retain your staff, to look after your staff? And that's not necessarily monetary, you know, even simple stuff. Like we even go into um, team meetings and things like that. And not, we're not talking boardroom style sort of thing. It's like, look, wh- when did you take your five fitters out just, you know, for a burger to discuss what they love fitting and what they don't fit in? So it doesn't have to be anything like super technical, but it, you know, if the guys are going out on site every single day and then they're not speaking to their employer, they, it becomes like they work themselves apart. And then obviously then then they might see grass that's greener on the other side and they're off. But it's we see it so many times that it's it's normally with the employer rather than the, the member of staff wanting to be, let's say, self-employed. Um, but it's, yeah, uh, well, I, obviously a lot of my conversations are with the employers again. Yeah. With the trade association, I, I see that a lot. But then through fitter, you know, I'm constantly talking to fitters that are either invested in themselves or being sent by their employer on training courses. So uh, you know, we we get a good read of, of both sides. And 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 you're right; it's not just about financial incentives. Although, in particular, with with um, trying to bring youth into the industry, you you can't just rely on going, okay, well, I'm going to pay apprenticeship wage, or I'm going to pay minimum wage. Yeah. You know, as in, you know, every conversation I have is at least living wage is an acceptable place to start because we're aware that return on investment for some apprentices in particular isn't going to happen within their training time. They're not, you know, they, you, know you, have, you have some cases, and, and Mike Waldron is an example, you know, who, who you've spoken to is a perfect example of someone that comes into the industry later, knows what they want, and they can achieve it very, very easily because they've done their growing up. They've done their, um, they've done their time understanding what working is like, but your typical 16 to 19-year-old apprentice still, ha- still has that learning to do, and they're not necessarily after two or three years of training going to be an out and out floor layer. They're going to be on that that you know they're, they're one rung up from not being a floor layer at all. You know they've had that experience, but yeah. expecting a return on investment sometimes is 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 difficult if if that person is is still learning. But having stuff like training plans, you know, we we you know, future fitter we talk about. We we produced a, a a guide. It's freely available. It's on the CFA website, and it outlines everything from how you can be involved in um, speaking to young people about joining the floor lane sector where they can find more information. If you do find someone that goes, oh, look, 
they're interested in floor lean, where you signpost them to, through to where they can get training, what the apprenticeship looks like. And we have a whole section on training plans. You know, just identifying how you're going to get the person from A to B within your business. You know, when when are you going to review what their pay is? When are you going to review what flooring they're fitting? When are you going to um, review what additional training they need? How is it factored in? So a person looks at that and goes, okay, I know what my next year looks like. Um, you know, I'm going to do some LVT training within the year because that's a, a priority. Uh, I'm going to have a, a pay review every six months, and that's based on these factors that I know I have an influence on. Um, you know, if, if you build that in, that's fine. You need to stick to it because, again, yeah. you can build a training plan and then you can sit there for a year and no one looks at it. We know it's. We know there's more in industry that that some employers would class as more important. You know, they've they've got all all the problems to deal with, not just you know getting the, the floor down, but everything that goes with running the business. Making time to to just touch in with those trainees is is vital. If you are going to keep them past that period of time where they go right, well, now I don't feel like I I need to stay with the employer. And 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 again, we speak to the fitters and say, look, you know, you've got to understand that there is a massive investment. And that return on investment, you know, sometimes it's a hard conversation to say, well, actually, young person, two years into the job, you're probably not earning the company what you think you're earning them because, you know, you, you see your side of the story. It's about linking them together. Um, yeah. And a training plan does that fantastically. No, I think you've hit the nail on the head to think uh, in in our business, well, all our businesses, we, training plan is, is the key um, because they can see this vision and then you've got the KPIs all the way along. And even yeah. down to like, you know, if, can you pack the van properly? You know, can you hoover up properly? You know, and they say, you know, so you're not getting 18 months into the job and, you know, the floor's not hoovered properly. And it's like, it meant meeting on and most, well, not most, maybe unfair, but quite a lot of, let's say, apprentice standard age could be sort of incentivized by money. So, because, you know, they might want, you know, they haven't got young families, et cetera. They want to, I don't know, whatever, enjoy themselves on a weekend. But they can then see where they're going. If they don't have it in place, it's like it's like, I don't know, putting your sat nav on the dash and then not putting a postcode in. And um yeah, we found that massively powerful, just even the basics and then can they cut under a door frame, can they I don't know, you know, um stretch a carpet or whatever. And once they're completely competent, it 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 changes the game completely. And obviously the more people you've got and the more on these plans, it makes life a little easier and communication. And, and those, you know, those plans even include just being able to turn up on time. You know, timely attendance, turning up in a in a, a, in a fashion that is respectful for work. You know, again, with the retail sector, you are dealing with customers constantly. So even just understanding what it, what, you know, what it, what it's, what you should be doing within other people's homes, or how you should act, or you know, the idea that again, I, I don't want to pigeonhole any sixteen to nineteen year olds because you know, again. Delivering the apprenticeship, we see some fantastic kids that come through that quite clearly have their head screwed up, and they know they know what work is like. But sometimes they just need that six to nine months to know what working life is like. You know the importance of turning up somewhere on time, the importance of making sure that you are available on the days that you are going to, said you are going to be available for work, because the knock-on effects are quite huge. If an employee doesn't have that member of staff, then they are down they are down those hours to complete the job. Or if you are late for your pickup from your, you know, your your your, your, your employee that's picking you up, that has a knock on effect to what time you finish or how, you know how successful you are in that installation. And I think a lot of the time, once that clicks, and it's stereotypically because we are stereotypically talking about you know um, uh, uh, young lads within this trade, you know, we 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 do, we need we do need to do more on 
on equality and diversity within the industry. And that's something, again, that, that is a key factor in, in future fitter going forward. You know, we do need more women within the industry. We do need more ethnic minorities within industry. And I think, you know, there's lots of opportunity for that, in particular now if you look to expand the amount of provision. But you do have, predominantly, you know, young young men, 16 to 19, come into the industry, that, that <clears throat> things will click. They'll go, okay, well, actually now, I'm starting to earn a bit of money and I want to go out and I've got a, you know, I've got a partner that I want to spend, you know, I want to spend time with, or I've got a car that I need to run. All of a sudden these things click and they know then actually the financial driver starts to hit a bit different. It's not about just paying your board and making sure you've got a bit of spends at the weekend. There's, there's bigger priorities. And once that click happens, you tend to see a change in them and their, um, their willingness to, to be brought on the journey. Um, but sometimes, you know, an employee can look at that and go, look, they're just not interested or they're not really giving it the time of day. And you can still have 19, 20-year-olds that still act like they're 16. You know, you, you see both sides of it. You know, I know I know, uh, you know, a few 20, mid-20-year-olds that still act like they're young teenagers in terms of how they act outside of work and the commitment that they give. It's, it, it, you know, it's, it's reflective on all sides. Everyone needs to go, look, there are pros and cons to my side of the business, whether it be a fitter, an employer, a, a supervisor. It's about knowing them and going, okay, well, I understand if I don't do X, then Y will happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and how it affects the other sides of the business. And so back to my original question, um, what do you think, since you've been in the industry, is the biggest problem with the UK flowing industry? Uh, it's it, access to skills and labour. Yeah. It's it's it's. Um, so we we do a through the CFA as part you know part of our membership. We will speak to members and go. Look, we want your we want your say on these things, and it can be anything. It can be, and we're talking commercial sector, so we're talking things like, um, you know, what's the body of work that you've got at the minute? How far are you booking stuff into the future? What's your retention rates like? How long is it taking you to get paid? Um, what's the issues you have on site? And and we introduced probably four years ago a massive bit within the training side. How many apprentices are you taking on? How many? How many? Um, and, and that's that's formal apprentices. That's apprentices that are on a formal training program that leads to a recognised qualification or a standard. And then you get the informal apprentices, which is oh, I've taken a guy on. We're going to train him in house. Maybe send him on some training courses. You know, but but industry will call him an apprentice or call them an apprentice. Um, how, you know, what's your skills and labour gap? What you know, what could be chucked into your business straight away and it, and, and would have no impact. And we know from that membership, and it's a it's a percentage. It's not all of membership, but I would say that a lot of the people that are CFA members and, and that's larger, small companies account for an awful lot of the flooring that goes down in the commercial sector. Again, we use Louts as an example. You know, they're one of the, one of the bigger organizations, designer contracts, St. Flooring, West Coast Flooring, you know, these big, big companies. And then you've got more, more established companies within set areas that are, um, you know, not, not thrown down the amount of flooring that those companies are, but still well invested within industry and, and um and the and and um and direct what what flooring looks like within industry, they they tell us what the gaps are. So we we did our membership return for twenty twenty three, and it's it's nearly twenty percent labour shortage. Yeah. So you know, if you expand that out to industry, that that could be as much as kind of ten thousand fitters. Yeah. They're saying that you could chuck chuck into industry straight away, and in essence, no one would bat an eyelid. No one would say, okay, well actually, you flooded the market here or. I can't find work, um, but that's in a buoyant market. So again, if we're talking 2023, that means that we were speaking to them at the, at the back end of 22 into 23. 
you know, there's a finishing trait. We probably expect that to continue in the next in the next twelve months, anyway, in the commercial sector. Um, we don't, we know the NRCF doesn't collect figures for the domestic sector, but you know, if you that so if you just consider that's the commercial sector, and you add a you add a percentage on for the domestic sector as well, that's quite, that's quite frightening the amount of you know, the amount of skills and labour there is. Sure, and that's only going up. You know that that was. That was fifteen percent in twenty twenty. That was eighteen percent in twenty twenty two. You know, it's it's rising. It's not going down. And I think a a, um, a recession might affect that. Uh, obviously, as, as work starts to get a little bit harder anyway to to do um, or to find. But we think skills and labour is predominantly um, the, the the kind of the the key challenge in industry right now. And you only have to look at the amount of training that's available now. If you look in the last five years, the amount of training that's, that's established from nothing, that I think that speaks volumes. Yeah. I mean, manufacturers, distributors, wholesalers, private training centers, it's, it's everyone. I wouldn't say it's gone nuts, but it's, it's quite clear that, yeah, I mean, it's great to see because 20 years ago, um, it, it, it was limited. It was limited, you know, so it's, and now it, it's everyone's, well, it's everywhere, but it, but there's a good selection, um, and a good pool to go on upskill in any area. So yeah. another, it's really good to see. Yeah, uh, so what we're going to go on to now, Sean, is a little bit about you, uh, a little bit of a fun section. Uh, these are relatively short and sweet, these ones. Um, what's the best bit of advice you've ever received in business or personally? Um, I'd, I'd say on honesty. You know, you, there's a lot of times that you can... You can you can rely on just just being very upfront and, and open about what you're doing, even even if it's probably an answer that the person sitting opposite you doesn't want to hear or isn't isn't going to be well received. Um, again, work, working in not for profit, honesty is, honesty is key because you know a lot of the time I'll have conversations about building courses or building you know, building projects, and and financially a lot of the time they're, they're sticking points. And being completely honest for the point here, look. The, the price is the price because I'm not trying to buy you know, a, a second home. You know, we're not we're not trying to build the business so that everyone can get brand new lease cars. We, we're just trying to make sure that, as a minimum, the company wipes its face, and that and, and that fit is, is in a nutshell. Are we servicing industry, and are we making sure that we're putting back into industry? Yes. Can we do that and not lose money doing it? Yes. And any and any. Any game made out past that is re, you know, reinvested. I mentioned Kakadi earlier. I mean, we spent. Twenty grand, getting twenty, you know, getting Kakadi up to up to standard, so we could deliver the full range of courses. You know, we were delivering courses there back in twenty nineteen, but it was a handful of courses that we could because the area wasn't built for doing textile courses. You know, you didn't have anything you could actually fit to, so we invested in that. But when we have those conversations, a lot of the time, because a lot of the companies we're speaking to are normally business to business. They they go right. Well, actually, is that your, is that your best price? Are are you sure you'll be able to do that? You know, I, honestly, we are saying a lot of the time, yes. You know, we're we're not. You know, we're we're fine margins to make sure we're giving back in. And we work with an awful lot of manufacturers and sponsors. And again, honesty and going, look, we can support you in these areas. We can't support you in these areas. Or, or you know, a lot of them want to make sure their brand's the one on show the most, or their you know their brand is the one that takes front and center and. You know, saying no sometimes to stuff is is difficult, but it's necessary. And if if you wrap that up in an honest conversation, going here's why, you know, it, a lot of the time it, there's a res- there's mutual respect on the other side. Oh, I love that. And what what's the worst bit of advice that you've ever received? 
the worst bit of advice. Mm-hmm. Must have seemed some over the years. <laughs> or even you've heard, what's the worst bit of advice you've heard someone tell you in the training centre or something? Well, I, I suppose what, what we do here is a lot, isn't it? Uh, what, probably not advice to me, but, but advice from fitters to fitters is you get a lot of fitters that will give advice based on on what they think is the, the right process. So typically through fitter, you tend to get two types of person that come into training. And I think if you spoke to any of the training provider, I know you spoke to Paddy and others, you know, this, I think this carries through. You will either get people that quite clearly want to invest in themselves. And it can be for a manner of reasons. They can, uh, you know, they, they realize that they need to be better at a job, more efficient in how they do something. They want to maximize their potential to earn. Or honestly, they've had a job go wrong and they don't want it to happen again. They don't know what they've done or how they've got there, but they can't afford for it to happen again. So they're going to learn a process. And they and then you bracket them as the ones that come in, um, eyes open, you know, relaxed and want and want to learn. But then you will also get fitters that are being sent for training. And again, it can be the same comparisons. They've had a job go wrong. Their employers said, look, I don't want you to make that mistake again. Or they've, you know, for whatever reason, they've been told they have to attend training. And they're the ones that will come in and their arms are crossed and they, they'll be a little bit standoffish. Um, and... It's very interesting to hear conversations between fitters. Again, as someone that's never fitted a floor, I'm, I'm not a floor there. You know, my background is training, has been for the last 20 years. But you'll hear, you know, but, I, but I pick a lot up. Again, I'm, I'm working with instructors and with trade associations that are co- consistently preaching best practice, belt and braces approach, bridge standard and, and above in terms of what you are expecting from an installation. And you do hear some. So advice on, oh, no, you shouldn't do it that way. Here's the way we do it. And, and, and you know, you don't have to worry about doing all that stuff that he's doing. You can just concentrate. And you, have, you know, our instructors, you have to kind of step in on that and go, well, actually, we can't stop you from fitting how you want to fit when you're on site. But when you're here, we're going to be showing you a process that we think is is largely valuable to the quality of the install. And, and you know, again, fitting stairs. You speak to a, a floor layer, carpet fitter, about how to fit stairs, and, and, and it's like, sometimes World War Three because they're just consistently going, oh, no, it should be bottom to top and that's easier and top to bottom and that's the process. And it, sometimes advice is given based on that kind of the way that someone's someone's taught. Unless, unless you break the cycle of someone attending someone like a training course, a lot of the time they're trained by the person that employs them and that person's trained by the person that employed them. And you can you almost can do this kind of family tree of where the training all started and who gave them the advice. You skip one one company across, and that can be a totally different experience. Yeah, because you know fitters don't tend to talk to each other. They don't go and fit out on jobs unless they're working with it, with each other formally. You don't go up, you ring up your competitors. Going, how, how are you approaching LBT installation? How are you making sure that the, all the herring bone we're putting down is set out right? They don't they don't converse that way. So the only way you break that cycle is through through training or seeing something different, you know, or listening to something different. Um, it's one of my uh, favorite. Oh well. Favorable pet hits when you see on the Facebook and the and the other forums where the fitters will say how much to do X. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like going car shopping and saying I want a car, you know, or I want to, you know, I want to go to a restaurant. Well, I want some food. You know, there's so many different questions to ask and so many different overheads, predicament, you know, um, burn rate of the business. It just blows my mind that about. 30, 40 people will respond, 15 quid, 14 quid. It's like a bidding war. And it's like, oh, you can't charge this for that. And it's like, why have we even entered into this conversation? So it's 
No, and and I, I suppose I'm very lucky that the majority of the fitters that I speak to are either already involved in some kind of association, some kind of you know, call it a format where they want to speak to each other and they're having these conversations, or they're entering the training centre, which means that at the very minimum they're either being told they've got to do some training, they've got to look at how they progress, or they're actively you know they're actively um, funding themselves. You know, our, our training courses are are price-wise are kind of on level with anything else that you will see, apart from probably manufacturers that can subsidize completely the cost of training. But a lot of the time, it's not the cost of the training that's the main outlay. The main outlay is the loss in business. You know, you come do a four-day carpet course with us, it might cost you 800, 800 or quid, but if you know that you want to earn 150 quid a day, you know, you're down four days there. If you are traveling from wherever, you've got your travel, you've got your overnights, you've got your... You know, your, your 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 sustenance in the evening. You know, it, it's small holiday territory. Yeah. So when she's in walk through those doors, it needs to be the best possible four days that they can they can get. Um, and and that's that's how we've tried to approach all the installation training that we do. Look, you are here for four days to pick our brains to meet a minimum set of criteria. Here's what you're going to cover. But if there's added value, we're going to do. We're not we're not going to be stingy on that. We're going to make sure that the people go away knowing full well that they can earn that money back relatively quickly. And I think it speaks a lot for the amount of return business we get. You know, I was speaking to one of the commercial guys, a CFA member, and he's like, this is my sixth course and, I, and I'm done now. I've done everything I need to do. And it's over a three-year period and his employees invest an awful lot. And and it, it's fantastic. You know, they turn up, they know exactly what they want to do, how they're going to get there. And we see an awful lot of repeat business. Once, once you can get people into a training environment, regardless of what your starting point is, a lot of the time you'll see them back either at fitter or you'll see them pop up at an F ball course or a an odd X course or a polyfloor, you know, all you know, I can I could name manufacturers for days that they'll end up going to because then it's almost they get the book. They go, okay, well I can see the value now. That's it, once they start getting the results. Um you, yeah. uh, I see all, all the time. Yeah. Um and the next question, what flooring do you have fitted at home? <laughs> um so all three of the downstairs, apart from the living room, we've got I've got an engineered wood. Yeah, I can't say that was my choice. That was what we moved into. Um, but and then, and then carpet everywhere else. But I think if we ever come round to to um, to looking at the flooring again, I'd probably stick. You know, I like the idea of of, of wood downstairs, um, particularly with the dog as well. That that helps. Although I know we've got there's some great LBTs out there now and so stuff like that. Um, but you know, flooring wise, I think I you know, again I see a lot come through the training centre. But it's always interesting to see the real wood floors and the LVT go down just because it's such a vast range of the scope of design. You know, you, you know stereotypically you, you see an awful lot of design in those areas uh, and carpet, you'll see some design, but it tends to be, you know, kind of bread and butter a lot of the time, either a very traditional install or a, you know, a, a standard install. Yeah. No, I mean, out, when I was out on the tills with the, the, the wood and the uh, fit in the sand and then, then as our businesses progressed in, as into training, but watching the guys, the real, well, even not the high-level guys, just the guys fitting LVT, it, we, we avoided it like the plague, um, but it's just amazing that it's like like a completely different skill set. I mean, it's similar, but just the techniques and the tactics they're using, I, I found that super interesting over the last couple of years, just watching the design flaws and the different ways of doing stuff, just because I've immersed myself for well, I think under 20 years into wood. So it's, you know, and it, I, I, I now find it even more, you know, 
carpets and stuff we didn't really get involved with. But again, it's the LVT that's really intrigued me. Um, just just out of general curiosity, not for any commercial reason, but it's, it's definitely definitely sort of raised my eyebrow. Yeah, I think I think the idea of a carpet fitter is is one that you know, over the next 10, 15 years you know, won't exist as just I am just a carpet fitter. Which if you went back twenty. 25 years what what the, you know, it was i think as we as we progress now an awful lot of resilient flooring is going down i think carpet's still king in that sense you know again from from the commercial background we know that the you know, square meterage you know, broadloom carpet and carpet tile is still you know ma- massively in the lead in terms of what goes down but you know resilient lvt in particular is is, is i'd said the fastest growing market Absolutely. even if you look at the some of the carpet manufacturers that have launched um, LVT brands within the last five years. You know, there's some very big names there that have gone. Okay, we need a, we need an LVT, because when we go out and sell the home, we know that it's not going to be carpeted throughout. You know, there'll be carpet maybe in the bedroom and the front room, and but you know, the, and the 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 landing, but everything else is LVT or or, or or timber. You know, they want something with a a different feel to it. So being able to been able to both go in as a fitter and know that I can I can take that all that work. But also as a manufacturer, knowing actually I can sell all that, you know, all that product is is important as well. And the unfortunate challenge with their raw materials of wood um, and the LVT, I think you know, sort of being a wood purist, um, I think the wood is going to be definitely overtaken by LVT uh, because they're getting you know better decors, better prints, um, hard wearing. Um, obviously, I think there's always going to be that need for wood, but it's. Uh, but I do see it getting pushed to one side because clients are getting a very similar result, but for a lower cost, and people are watching the pennies a little bit more. Um, especially the, the you know the rate total per square meter for a, you know a good wood job now. And, and, and again, with my you know with my tunnel vision of training, I, I wouldn't argue with that. You know, a lot of the training that we take that takes place at at the fitter training centre tends to be around carpet. LVT and then and then commercial vinyl is, is a big one. You know, kind of you 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 your safety floors and your weld your welded floors, your site formed floors, and you do get you do you know, we do run timber courses, but they they were fewer and far between. You know, the wood standing course we run is 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 awfully popular. We do we you know we do that pretty much every course you know every course we run is 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 packed on that. Um, but yeah, t- timber timber tends to be few and far between. Actually, people wanted to come in and learn learn that. Um, if then you know, and it tends to be they're already within timber timber flooring businesses. It's not, it's not okay. Well, I currently fit these products and I want to learn timber as well. It tends to be okay. Well, our business is timber, and we're bringing new staff in. And what I've got the the next controversial one. Um, what's the least favorite part of your current role, Sean? What's <laughs> um, the least favorite part? Hmm. Uh, I currently uh, having having time to push some of the the, the projects that we want to push. Um. So you know, I, I'll make no bones. We we are we are constantly through fitter and CFA. We are constantly trying to trying to be more efficient in how we service industry, how we make sure that industry get what they need. Um. And we're aware that we are you know that we are through quite a, a big digital evolution in the flooring sector. Not just in how people operate, but also how they converse. Even even things like we're doing now, you know, if you think, well, actually, five years ago, would this, would this have been the norm? Probably not. Um, and we're seeing that in what we do in in our membership 
comms as well. So how we speak to members and how we speak to people about um, the difficulties they're having or how the CFA can help. Um, some people now are almost getting kind of um, uh, like Zoom and Teams blind. They, 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 they're kind of moving away from using that as a concept and they want to go back to the to the face-to-face. And again, as mainly someone that works in an office, you know, they, they, there is a, there is a comfort in that knowing okay well I can do lots of things and I can I can manage my time even more efficiently because we've got stuff like you know uh, online meetings that you can that you can work to but if but if um if 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 it continues to move back to a face to face which I'm all for um t- time is a real issue you know some of the projects that we want to start are, are mainly either either um stopped it so future fitter you know it, 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 i've spoken about that a bit today you know ideally what we would do is go okay well we need someone on the road constantly talking to schools colleges talking to providers going into construction colleges talking about why floor lay should be you know presenting all the stats and data that i've gone through today you know the membership base that could that could support it but you know that it financially that's 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 quite a big ask um, and and membership and membership would not cover it. You know, we we you know we again as a not for profit run really tight on that. It'd be it'd be changing the structure and how you work with members. And if if it's member supporting it, what happens if you're not a member and you receive you know you receive good fortune from that? If we establish something in Bedford and we realise actually the wider industry get it uh, access to it, but members are still struggling to service their workforce. You know, where, where do we sit? So fitter in particular. Um, is one of them. I'm, I'm currently trying to find uh, a full-time trainer that will come in and help out with a lot of the stuff that we're doing, apprenticeship delivery in particular. But yep. the amount of requests we get for stuff that takes longer to turn around because I don't have someone that go, right, that person there straight away. They're the person that we can we can use because all of our instructors are subcontracted. We are you know, we are quite, quite proud of the fact that everyone that attends a course is being instructed by someone that's still, still boots on the ground, still fitting. Um, or still involved in fitting because you know you can lose elements of that if you don't if you, you know you lose it if you don't use it. So um, we we buy their time in, and that's always been the model that fitter works to and will continue to work to. But uh, yeah, if I could find if I could drop someone into the business tomorrow, um, and, and we are trying, uh, it would be fantastic and allow us to work on those things a little bit more. Sure. Um, next question, and and it's again it's a. Uh... It's a good one, this. I love this. Three people you'd love to have a pint with, dead or alive? That's a good question. And why? Uh, so you want some fun at the party, so I'm a, I'm a big Oasis fan, so I think Liam Gallagher would be right up there, um, just just for entertainment. Um, been lucky enough to see him a couple of times. He's fantastic. Trying to get tickets for him, actually, for his it's the uh, 30 year anniversary of definitely maybe coming out struggling to struggling to sort that in a minute so he he'd be there um and then for a bit of intellect you probably want someone that can carry a conversation um so who would i have there wouldn't be me um well for the comedic value i'd probably have someone like um ricky gervais um i know he's quite controversial in terms of some of his stand-up but if you've ever heard kind of interviews or stuff from him i think realistically he is He's very confident that um, he, he doesn't really he, he doesn't really care what people think of him. Um, he, he he will stick to what he wants to say and how he wants to say it. And I think um, I think it, it creates a, it creates an environment where not where he can he just walk off the duck's back a lot of the time, but he, he kind of knows. Look, I have I have opinions on stuff and it, and it, and I want to voice them. So for a comedy value, I'd probably have Ricky Gervais. 
And then um, who else would I have? Yeah, like I said, I'd want some intellect, mainly to keep things on track. <laughs> it's a good good table so far. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if you ever watch a lot of um, if you watch a lot of the the, the like the David Attenborough stuff shows. But you know, someone that's got like a wealth, like a like a like a wealth of knowledge. You know, he's in his yeah. like nineties now and still and still and still like actively trying to promote kind of. Wildlife and how we should protect it. I think someone like that you could probably sit and listen to for hours. Some of the stories that they've got. Um, so quite quite a, a a wide a wide range of person, I suppose. It could be David Attenborough um, giving commentary on Ricky Gervais, um, <laughs> and that, that would be an interesting. Uh... Yeah, yeah. I mean, services me more than anything. I don't think they. I don't think it's a it's a it's a well rounded group of people I'd like to speak to. No, I like that. I like that. And then. One of the biggest um, questions on the podcast. Um, actually, no, I'll, I'll, I'll do another one first. I've got another one. If I give you a thousand pound now and you have to spend it by five o'clock, what would you spend it on? You have to spend it all. I have to spend it all. Mm. What? Well, nearly Christmas. Christmas o'clock. Nearly Christmas season, isn't it? So I'll be straight. I'll be straight down to uh, to wherever. And so I've got I've got two girls, so I'd be I'd be making sure that Christmas is set for them. I'm. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't last long in our house. If it's you know, if there's money available, it's normally uh, it's normally services something that they want to do. Love it, love it. And then the question that I was going to ask, um, big one: what is currently holding you back, Sean? Um, I think we've already we've already touched on it. Um, time, uh, you know, opportunity to expand on some stuff. You know, we've got some great ideas, or you know, both through Fitter and CFA. There's some great ideas on things we want to do. Um, but I you know, nine times out of ten it falls down on um time wise. You know, does does it does it sit above things that you're working on? You know, you look at your business plan and you go, you one, three, five, what's that look like? And then someone says, Oh, you should do XYZ and you go, Fantastic idea. Uh, but where do I fit it in? Where where you know, where's the time for it? Does it bump things down the list? Does it create more of an importance than what we've decided we're gonna work on? And secondly, how is it how is it financed? You know, how are we financing that? Are we are we going to members? Are we self financing? So, you know, we, again, we want to do this digital push with push with Fitter, and we we you know we trialed it during the you know, during the kind of pandemic with with creating Fitter Digital, which was in essence a way of us promoting what we do, but also ring fencing what we do. If that makes sense, you know, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot and go, oh, okay, here's all the information. You want to fit a floor, just visit fit fit, fit our YouTube channel. Yeah. But we did want to go, well, actually, here's the kind of things you will learn on a on a fitter training course, or here's some of the, the processes that you should consider when you fit in a floor the correct way. Um, so we did a lot of work on that to make sure that it was it was viable. You know, they're short three to five minute videos with bits sped up and bit, you know, vital bits cut out. It's not a it's not a do it yourself. It's a look. You know, here's how you, you know, here's how you should approach. And we've tracked that, and we know that it brings a lot of, you know, a lot of business in. Yeah. So we want to do more of it, but again, it's 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 time and time and finance. Where do you where do you fit that in? And you know, because the the key objective for Fitter isn't to expand. You know, I could go well. Actually, we'll we'll take on uh, two people to do it, and we'll you know, and we'll fund that through these the, you know, these models. But I think a lot of the time, the CFA and and, and Fitter in particular, we are relying on industry to support best practice and they do but if you then if you then look to create extra capital to do other bits you kind of fall outside the sector of an association 
you know, just just a trade association having a training arm is on is relatively unheard of in wider construction. It's not something that many providers do, or we're really proud of it. Um, but the you know, the objective, and it comes across strange for other people, but the objective isn't to grow it, isn't to isn't to to create a, a an all singing or dancing you know conglomerate of different you know different areas. It's service and industry, and if that is Scotland, we set up Kakadi. If that's creating more provision. We'll go and have the conversation, but ultimately, yeah, time, time, and finance are, are two are two barriers at the minute to doing more. Definitely, brilliant. And what is the best current way to reach out to you, your team? You know, find out more. How, how would you want people to find you? Um. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Well, whether it's through the CFL fitter, you'll reach me through through places like LinkedIn. Um. I don't do an awful lot of. Um, social media outside of that, but but Fitter and CFA will have dedicated um, social media. So Instagram for definite, Twitter. Um, Fitter's got a Facebook account, which is, which is really popular. You know, we do an awful lot of, of interaction through Facebook um, and Instagram for Fitter naturally because it's it's design led and it's image led. Um, for CFA, it's more it's more formal. So so LinkedIn and and, and Twitter seem to be the main drivers. Um, they, they, can, they can go through our website, so uh, cfa.org.uk and fitter.co.uk. They're the main drivers for for, for traffic there. Um, and again, I'm, I, 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 you know, I spend a lot of my time answering emails, but you know, people can email me. It's um, it's not it's not hard to find. We I do an awful lot of writing for the the magazine CFJ, so I do a monthly article in there, which tends to create a lot of traffic. People reading that and wanting to speak about specific things as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Sean, for coming on the podcast. Uh, enjoyed this one. It's been great to understand who you are and what you do. Oh, thank you. Cheers. If you'd like to find out more information about what we do, you can visit our website at cockerellandco.co.uk. That's cockerellandco.co.uk. We also have an Instagram account, which is Cockerell and Co. And also we are on Facebook. Once again, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you here again soon.